I still remember this day very vividly. We had like a meeting with all four of us. We were like, what should we do? This is going out of control. Should we like all stop like whatever else we were planning on doing right now and just like try and commit ourselves to this and go for it? Or should we basically just shut it down because like we don't want to get sued? everyone, welcome to the Style is Free podcast. I'm your host, Brett Leibowitz. Today we have Nate Madry with us, the founder of fratmusic.com and also a blockchain enthusiast. He's the first person to tell me about Ethereum back in the summer. Welcome to the show, Nate. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. Excited to be here. Awesome. So, yeah, I wanted to get into fratmusic.com a little bit because sure. I used that in college when I heard that you were the creator of that. Super excited. Used it all the time for playlists if people have used it or remember it yeah you could just get a bunch of playlists on there like what drove you to to build that application and how did that start yeah for sure so it was kind of a crazy story actually so what what year did you graduate again 2013 2013 okay so we started it basically in january 2010 it was my senior year at uva but we didn't even really start it some dude out in california and just put up like a single playlist frat like really cliche frat playlist and we came across it and thought it was hilarious first of all but also that it was like there was something i don't know there was something like genuine about it at the same time but one of my friends at uva this guy john had already started a couple of other companies at that point and had kind of some money to play around with so one day he was just like hey why don't we buy fratmusic.com and see what we can do with it and he came to me i had a radio show at the time and i was like kind of curating music so yeah it almost started as just kind of like a joke and just something we did for fun and Probably within a month, the first month that we started doing it, it just started taking off kind of unexpectedly. Um, I changed up the playlist. Like I said, when we first got it, it was kind of like a really cliche frat playlist, but it was still good. I don't know, it's still good in like a cheesy way. I changed up a little bit and added a lot more like remixes and mashups. And it was kind of specifically ma- re- finding remixes of like hip hop and EDM. This is back like when EDM was first kind of getting to the US. And for whatever reason, that just kind of started like catching fire. And yeah, from there, it just kind of kept taking off. That's awesome. Yeah. So were you developing it at the time? No, I didn't even, I didn't know how to code at all at the time. You know, I learned later. I was doing the music, the content. I was kind of doing the branding and social media, even though I didn't think of social media as some, and branding as something that we should have been doing. but. I was just doing it for fun again, kind of. But no, the my friend John, and then we had one other guy who was doing, who was coding it. It, it was pretty straightforward. We had it set up, so it was kind of like crowdsource playlists. Anyone could submit a, a playlist. And we had like a voting system, which we basically took from Reddit. We tweaked it a little bit. So yeah, it was a pretty like straightforward forward app. And then we had, there were four of us. There was one other guy who was kind of running the business side of it. But I spent basically all my time looking for new music, making new playlists, and then kind of talking with artists and other people making playlists, content creators, that sort of stuff. Awesome. So yeah. how did you actually get the music files? Was there any ownership problems with that? Yeah, a ton. Uh, it was bad. I probably shouldn't say this, but what we were doing is basically illegal, illegal for the first year, at least, of what, when we were doing it. Because we were literally just ripping audio from YouTube without mm. reimbursing YouTube. So we were violating YouTube service, service and rights holders' rights because we weren't really compensating anyone. And we figured that out kind of the hard way. We were using this third-party website called Mixpod. They were ripping music from YouTube and we were embedding Mixpod. So we were kind of a couple layers deep. It was great for a little while. You know, it started blowing up. We were getting like 100,000, I think, users a day at our peak around there. 
just riffing from YouTube. It was working great getting more people, but then when we were like, okay, we have all these users, how are we gonna actually make money off this or do anything? We kind of hit a, that's when things started getting a little harder because we couldn't really monetize it with it not being really fully legal. And we started getting contacted by lawyers and just, all sorts of people coming out of the woodworks asking us like the same question like hey where are you getting this music from and like how does this work and again like we weren't looking at it as a business at all so this stuff just kind of no you know we weren't thinking about it and kind of came out of nowhere yeah so long story short we actually shut down the site about five months after we started it in may 2010 i still remember this day very vividly we had like a meeting with all four of us we were like what should we do this is growing out of control should we like all stop like whatever else we were planning on doing right now and just like try and commit ourselves to this and go for it or should we basically just shut it down because like we don't want to get sued we basically chose the latter especially john because he had other assets that he wanted to protect so yeah we literally just pulled the website offline pretty much after that meeting got like tens of thousands of hate emails <laughs> and just like drunk frat dudes just like yeah, Fuck you guys. I, like, this. <laughs> yeah. Um, awesome. I didn't realize it was only on for five months yeah definitely... i mean we put, we put it back up to that but okay um, that makes more sense <laughs> that was like the crazy when it really blew up and then we took it down for another two or three months and rebuilt it from scratch trying to do it legally that's like probably the version you use or maybe you're there for the first version so yeah then we like rebuilt it on top of this platform eight tracks and we were actually oh. partnering with them the right way. We were paying, reimbursing them for licenses, bandwidth. And it was good, but it was much harder to like make money and like our margins were much lower. We never really reached the same kind of crazy growth because our user experience was more limited as well because of the new licenses we couldn't really stream. There are different licenses for like Atrax and Pandora style streaming versus Spotify. Our original site was more Spotify where you could choose any song, but that licensing is like 10 to 100 times more expensive than Pandora style. So we ended up going with Pandora style, which worked, but we lost a lot of users along the way too. It was definitely hard. We had to make kind of a lot of hard trade-offs. Yeah, I think I was using the latter site. It's funny that you say it, or that it was using eight tracks because it reminded yeah. me of that a lot of the style that it works. So yeah. I didn't find out about that till like after college too. I was using that for a few years. Nice. Yeah, I actually had like a lot of the most popular playlists on eight tracks back in the day were ones I made just because through like frat music we were pumping up the plays. But I haven't. I don't even know if eight tracks is still around anymore. It's still around. I think yeah, they're running to similar issues where. Yeah it's more ads like less free sort of yeah. stuff they were doing something I thought was interesting I didn't really dig into too much but kind of the crowdsourcing raising of funds mm. like, I think it was oh, like right. even before like cryptocurrencies and yeah. stuff really caught on I use them every once in a while but yeah it's not not the same yeah no it's too bad a lot of pretty much every music service has had trouble really surviving and, and making money it's a big problem for pretty much everyone unfortunately love that you made that site super yeah. couldn't believe it when I heard that was you um, so yeah I guess let's pivot more into current times so like i said earlier you're the first person telling me about ethereum nice you're... i didn't realize that what <laughs> i didn't realize that oh yeah because we were talking remember that meeting we had in ithaca with yeah. julia and you're like oh yeah this new thing ethereum i'm really into <laughs> I was like, okay nice. i'll check that out but yeah so what kind of brought you on to the blockchain cryptocurrency field and why are you interested in that yeah so i mean similarly i had a friend who like told me about it and was really excited about it so after after i kind of finished up frat music i did a um coding boot camp when i started frat music i didn't know how to code i kind of got interested in it along the way i started teaching myself some and i really loved it so like after that i went to a coding boot camp and one of my classmates there this was i guess like november 2015 one of my classmates had 
been starting to get in Ethereum, mostly like developing, like trying to build apps with it, but also investing a little bit. And he was like super excited about it and just told me all about it. And I kind of like, I guess I'd started off slow. And, but then once I started really looking into it, I was, I was hooked. I just thought it was such like a cool new system and so much potential. And then kind of a little, actually the same guy, John, who started Frat Music had been into Bitcoin like way back in the day. And I wish I had paid more attention at the time because he like was like into it in like 2010. Bitcoin was always kind of on my radar, but it never, I never like really, really got into it until Ethereum. No, that makes sense. I also did a bootcamp end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And also even still then people are like, oh yeah, you should check out Bitcoin. My yeah. roommate in San Francisco I had, was like, oh, you should check that out. I'm like, yeah, like it seems cool, but not, not my alley. And a few years later, it keeps blowing up. So it's, yeah, super insane. Just this past year, I feel like it's just been a huge increase. Yeah, it's been pretty insane. So have you built any, I guess, decentralized apps or what do you work on with Ethereum? Yeah, so I've kind of messed around. I mean, right now for our startup studio project, we're building on top of Ethereum and we have like a very basic prototype up and running for basically building like digital collectibles. But other than that, I've just kind of messed around. It's it's actually like, once you kind of understand the blockchain concepts, it's pretty straightforward to build stuff with it. Cause like Ethereum has its own language solidity, which is like pretty much JavaScript with just like more like type checking but and then like some special like variables and stuff specific for ethereum but yeah i mean i've kind of been messing around with it for the last couple of years now and just trying to get my feet wet it's still like a very much evolving development ecosystem as well there's new tools all the time Cool. So are you going to keep developing in Ethereum? Are you guys thinking of spinning out for yours or? Yeah, we're probably going to not spin out full time, at least right away. Like we're probably going to be working out on the side for at least a while. I think we're still a little bit early, but yeah, I mean, if we can get some real traction for it, I'd love to eventually do it full time. How do you see it working out in the future? Do you see Ethereum? Are you really bullish on Ethereum or do you see other cryptocurrencies, a mixture or I guess not cryptocurrencies, but blockchain technologies? From a development standpoint or just overall? Both. Yeah, I think Ethereum has a huge lead in terms of developer mindshare. Um, That's actually what really got me interested in Ethereum in the first place in terms of investment. I just realized like pretty much all the developers I talked to, at at least it's, it's probably, it's still kind of the case, but especially back one or two years ago, every single developer I talked to who was interested in blockchain was working on Ethereum. So, and I think Ethereum still has like a pretty big lead in terms of developers working on it. I think people don't pay enough attention to that because that's like pretty hard to overcome if there's all these tools and like code built on top of Ethereum, then you can start seeing some like real network effects. I do think it's still so early, like almost anything can happen at this point. And like people are definitely trying to make better Ethereums and newer Ethereums and like different competing platforms. Like everyone has different opinions, obviously like no one, I don't know, who knows what's going to happen in the long run. Um, But yeah, personally, I just think Ethereum is, I'm I'm still pretty bullish on it because, because of the developer thing, but also it's just like such an elegant and like breakthrough um, solution. I think, I think like Ethereum and Bitcoin are, are still just like, both the truly breakthrough technologies that at least that we've seen so far and they've opened up the door for a bunch of these other cryptos and like technologies but none of them have really been kind of like unique and new in the same way at least that i've seen so far yeah are there any 
applications out there that you're really interested in? Any decentralized apps that you're messing with or they like a lot? Yes and no. So some of the ones I'm interested in are like Omise Go. If they can pull that off, it's basically like a payment system and like huge decentralized exchange on top of Ethereum where like you can exchange and pay for anything using any cryptocurrency. If a vendor takes Omise Go, you can pay using Ethereum, but you can also pay using Bitcoin, Dogecoin, whatever. We'll just automatically exchange it. I think something like that's really cool, but it's still like, it's, it's not really public yet. I've always been a big fan of Gollum, which they call like the Airbnb of computing power, where you can like sell your excess computing power. And they just kind of released uh, Alpha, but it's still pretty clunky. I think th- those are two pretty cool ambitious projects. And like the uh, this only stuff I'm actually really using is like CryptoKitties and collectible stuff. Like that stuff is is usable, but it's obviously a much different scale. But I'm like, I'm excited about it. I think CryptoKitties legit is a, a really important project for the blockchain space, but it's also obviously a fad in some ways too, so. Right. How many CryptoKitties do you own? <laughs> Not as much as Kroll. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have like 10, okay. 10 or 15. I bought four or five and then I was breeding them for a while. But yeah. I stopped. Were you able to sell any of them? No, that's when I stopped. I, I tried selling them and there was like more expensive to <laughs> sell them than I would even get just paying the fees. Um, I probably could now, but I don't know. The market got flooded so fast. But I don't know. There's all this crazy stuff coming up now. Like, I don't know if you've seen these kitty races. Someone built a kitty racing app where you can use your crypto kitties to race against other crypto kitties. And then you can win Ethereum. You like bet Ethereum on this race and the winner gets Ethereum. But certain kitty genes are faster in this race it's basically like the kitty the winner is basically randomly generated but you have more of a chance depending on certain genes so people are like breeding kitties specifically for racing it's pretty crazy it's kind of a whole new kitty economy i guess that's interesting yeah Yeah. like the kentucky derby of crypto kitties (laughs) that's awesome yeah what that always reminds me of crypto kitties is neopets yeah like a big you have pets that you feed and you grow you breed them they may i just I know, and if they're racing them now, playing mini <laughs> mini games with your crypto yeah. assets, I kind of see that going out at some point. Crypto Neopets, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> no, it's very similar. Um, and like, yeah, people call them crypto beating babies. I think it's similar in ways, but the crazy thing about it is it's like, it's if beating babies was like one of the first like assets ever created. Like, that's why it's like, I think people kind of like, Yes, crypto kitties are like beanie babies and, and you know pets in a lot of ways, but they're also like very revolutionary in other ways, which is like kind of like crazy to think about. But yeah, I mean I think like trying to take the idea of like crypto kitties or, you know, basically what you're describing, like having something that you own but it's also like you can play mini games with or like it's interoperable with other stuff. That's like a pretty new concept that I think has a lot of really cool applications with other types of content and digital media and stuff. What do you think about the energy consumption with blockchain and cryptocurrencies and the future of that? It's an immediate problem. It's taking more and more energy. Personally, I'm not as concerned about it as some people are. There's people are working on solutions for it right now. And I think like, you know, Ethereum is working towards a proof of stake algorithm, proof of stake blockchain instead of proof of work. And if they can successfully move towards that, which is like, a, it's easier said than done. That's a pretty big technical challenge. That would like exponentially decrease the amount of energy that their algorithm was using. Bitcoin probably will always be on proof of work, but who knows what will happen. It's unfortunate that it has to use so much energy, but I think you can also kind of look at it as a cost of securing the network. Um, and if you think about how much energy and just like money it costs to secure traditional financial network like a system of banks 
it's probably way way more than is is used by blockchains right now and again like that's not i think it's wasteful right now which isn't good but there's inevitably going to be some sort of cost to it people have tried to like come up with all sorts of solutions for this but it's hard it's just like there's no kind of simple way to have something that's really really secure and also really really energy efficient at least right now what's the difference between proof of stake and proof of work all right so proof of work is the current algorithm that's used now by the miners um i guess i guess i can just kind of quickly like run through would it be helpful to quickly run through like what the mining process in general are yeah um, all right, so when I'm thinking of the, the blockchain in general, right, it's basically a public ledger of transactions, right? So I almost think of it as like a, a Google spreadsheet where anyone can add entries into the spreadsheet and it's tracking every like transaction throughout history. But there are a couple of like big problems with that. First of all, like forgery. So how do you know like who's putting stuff into the, into the spreadsheet is actually who they say they are. And then the other one is like people changing around the order of the spreadsheet. So like if someone can go in and change the order of transactions, then people can like steal money, right? So the first problem is solved by digital signatures. So that makes it almost like impossible for people to forge something and say they are someone they're not. But then the other problem is is the harder one, and that's the one that's solved by the proof of work or by like a consensus algorithm. Right now, the biggest one is proof of work, but you basically need to get everyone in the system or a majority, certain majority people in the system to agree on the order of transactions so people can't go back and like steal money. So that's where the proof of work algorithm comes in and basically all their transactions being generated every second, right? And then all the miners are really doing is trying to guess random numbers really fast. Okay, so all the transactions are happening every second, they get bundled in together. Say a thousand transactions get bundled together. Whoever can guess those a random number the fastest gets to add those transactions transactions to the blockchain and wins a reward. This is a proof of work algorithm. And again, so like to win that reward and to be able to do that block, you need to generate a hash that's below a certain value. So basically a hash that starts with a certain number of zeros. So the only way to do that is to like try and hash things as quickly as possible and generate random numbers, right? To do that, you, you have higher chances if you have much, much more computing power. That's where you get this energy consumption stuff. It's like people are just create trying to guess these random numbers really, really fast, and they're creating these huge farms of servers. So you're basically trying to present like a, prevent a 51% attack, which pretty much the first kind of attack people usually bring up when they're talking about security of these sorts of networks. But like a 51% attack is if someone could control 51% of the network. So in the proof of work al algorithm, it's basically if someone can control 51% of the hashing power, then they could essentially reorder the blockchain at their will. And they can create double spend attacks. It takes at least 51% of the network to do that. So that's why this, this kind of proof of work system is so secure. Because as more miners join the pool, there's a huge financial costs to trying to get 51% of the hashing power. Like you need to get thousands and thousands of computers, have them running all the time, and you need to be out racing everyone else. So you kind of have this like giant race happening all the time of people trying to get more computers, right? That, that's like a long-winded way of, of proof of work. Proof of stake is basically um, same sort of concept. You're trying to find, you're trying to choose someone to add the next block to the chain, but instead of choosing a random person by through this hashing process, instead, everyone who wants to 
participate in this process stakes a certain amount of their tokens, their cryptocurrency. So like if Ethereum is using it, you stake a certain amount of Ether and then one person is like randomly selected proportional to how much cryptocurrency you stake. So you don't need to run this hashing algorithm at all. So you're not really actually generating any, you can actually do it from like a smartphone. You're not really wasting any electricity, but it's a lot harder to make it secure or to be 100% certain that it's secure because you don't have this um, kind of like huge financial or financial barrier of like buying all this computing power. Like you don't need that anymore. There, there are trade-offs to both sides and like people are moving towards proof of stake. There, there are blockchains using proof of stake right now, but it hasn't been fully battle tested. And there are some theories that like, you'll need like one main proof of work blockchain at the end of the day and proof of stake blockchains can like talk to them. You can kind of outsource a, most of the most of the kind of security like and you don't need to do every single transaction on the main proof of work blockchain and maybe you can do most of them on proof of stake or maybe they'll be able to figure out how to do a purely proof of stake blockchain or something different like people are trying other stuff too but yeah it kind of remains to be seen is there any worry you're saying proof of stake works by whoever it's kind of your proportion of the cryptocurrency you own is the amount of value or chances you have of getting to mine a block right and but when you mine a block you get more of that cryptocurrency mm -hmm. is there any worry of like kind of a wealth disparity in cryptocurrencies definitely. with that happening yeah it's definitely it could potentially kind of be like a rich becomes richer scenario and that's another concern with it for sure yeah i mean one thing about that though is that's already kind of happening even with proof of work so even though proof of work is supposed to be in theory it's like decentralized in reality there are these huge mining pools that when a huge amount of the time and gives them kind of like outsized power in the community and it's it's like akin to if you had a crypto billionaire who's just staking a billion coins every time right so i don't know if you saw this thing recently with ethereum they just figured out i, I think it was bitmain announced they were releasing like an a6 uh, mining card the ethereum mining rigs they had mostly been gpus but they just released they just announced they're release, releasing like a much more powerful one that's also more expensive. So basically the kind of concern now is that like you have these more powerful, more expensive mining rigs. Now there are gonna be even less people who can like afford them and be able to do it. And it's gonna keep becoming like more and more centralized. So yeah, so like to answer your question, yes, but unfortunately I don't know if there's no real good way to avoid that at all at this point. Okay, so there's no solutions for either proof of work or proof of stake to kind of circumvent that issue yeah at least no one has really figured it out at this point no one's released any papers on it <laughs> yeah i'm sure people have like the kind of the tough stuff about this thing is like it's very very difficult to test until you just put it out in the wild because so much of it is just like game theory basically like you never know what people are going to do and like they never really do what you expect so people are always finding new ways to try and kind of circumvent the systems cool are there any other blockchain related topics that we haven't touched on that you're really passionate about that you want to discuss I don't know. I think there's so much cool stuff going on. I've been looking a lot into the interoperability stuff recently, like how can blockchains kind of talk with each other and work together. I think that stuff's really cool. And that'll help a lot with the scalability if they can if they can figure that out. The digital ownership stuff, I think, is, is cool too. Like kind of the, something to like CryptoKitties, but like the idea of how can we like actually own our digital content, like our digital music, videos, images, whatever. I think blockchain could be a real solution for that and creating like content that people can like actually own and resell, remix, do whatever they want with it. Basically, I think that's really cool as well. Every time it gets modified, kind of there's a check in there that 
cryptocurrency maybe goes to the original owner yeah. or, some, or maybe some sort of share of it. If yeah, exactly. It. Something like that. Cool. Yeah. And when you're saying that blockchains communicate with each other, were you, is that referring to the proof of stake and the proof of work blockchains or is it like an Ethereum blockchain talking to a Bitcoin blockchain or would it have to be in the same family? No, it could really be any. I mean, the goal is to have any sort of blockchain, no matter what the consensus algorithm is. Yeah. I mean, so right now they're just starting with blockchains that are kind of in the same family because that's like the easiest but um but yeah the goal is to have any sort of like and because there'll probably be a ton of new like there are already hundreds and they're probably going to keep on being new blockchains coming out so it's like how do you get them all to interact with each other or if you have like coins in one and coins in another is there a way to exchange them or like interoperate without having to first go through like an exchange like do all that stuff so yeah, there are a couple. Pro- there's one project called Cosmos, which is trying to work on a solution. There are a bunch of others, but I think that's a, another huge step forward for for blockchains as well. And yeah, again, it'll ha- it should hopefully help with scalability because like right now, if like if Ethereum gets jammed up, then you might be able to offload some of that to another blockchain or do something like that. Yeah, that's really cool. Something we talked about when Kroll was on here about how everyone's kind of tied together in this ecosystem of Ethereum. So that's yeah. Kind of a good exit hatch or something if a cryptocurrency goes down it's like oh the block just transferred over here to this blockchain that, that's really interesting yeah cool well awesome Nate. that was great material on firstfratmusic.com yeah. and then everything on blockchains that was very informative in a very succinct manner i learned a lot i'm awesome. hoping i'm sure our listeners are got a lot out of that as well nice. so thanks for coming on man yeah for sure thanks for having me brett Thank you for tuning in to the Stylist Free Podcast. Maybe one day we'll have our own cryptocurrency where our guests get paid crypto tokens for how many listens they have or something like that. It's a whole new world out there. A lot of cool stuff going on. Thank you for listening to the Stylist Free Podcast. As always, until next time, friends, I am your host, Brett Leibowitz.